0: Amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated this morning. And uh, wasn't that quite a snowstorm last week? Yeah, my wife and I were really suffering through it. Um, it, it Really, the first week in Florida was in the 60s and it was raining. I know you really feel bad for me, uh, but (laughs) it did get warmer. It did get into the 80s in the second week. But I kind of missed the snowstorm. Um, It's like, you know, when you're a kid on vacation time and there was a snowstorm during vacation, it was like, oh man, why didn't this happen other times so I could have missed school? Uh, But anyway, um, we made it through and and the weather will get better. Thank God the days are getting longer. You notice that? So new seasons are coming and uh, we are excited to be here this morning in the presence of the Lord. Uh, There's no place like home. There's no place like worshiping corporately and uh, meeting with God. God is real, and uh, he does dwell in the midst of his people in praise and worship, and I don't know about you, but I sense the presence of God this morning. I want to encourage you to open up your hearts, open up your Bible as Pastor Mike comes and continues in our series on discipleship. Amen. God bless you, Pastor Mike.
1: Amen. Thank you, Pastor Richard. It's good to have you guys back. Looked like you got some sun, Pastor. (laughs) We know the sun was shining. So, well, good morning, church family. Good morning. As Pastor said, can't you just feel God's presence this morning of our series on discipleship? And so it's just such a privilege to be able to break bread this morning and share just some of the principles from the book that we are reading together. How many of you are enjoying the book? Isn't it really, really good? So practical and And I just feel like it is shaping and equipping us to become better disciples for 2022, amen? Amen. So let's pray before we jump into the word, just pray that our hearts would be open, that God would give us understanding for what we want to share this morning from his word. Father, we thank you, God, as we now just come together to hear from your word. We pray for everyone here in the service, those tuning in on the live stream right now, those who tune in at a later time. Lord, that we would be blessed to hear your word this morning. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to open up our ears, open up our minds, soften our hearts, God, so that we can fully understand what you are speaking to us today. And Lord, we pray that what you give us today, bring it with us, God, this week into our workplaces, into our homes. And Lord, we want to see transformation everywhere we set our feet because of your word in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just a quick recap, as you know, part one, we talked about selection in the book, the importance of how did Jesus go about choosing people who would change the world? And we learned that no one is disqualified from being a disciple. Jesus said anybody is available as long as they are willing, amen? And so if you are here this morning, maybe you have reasons why you might want to disqualify yourself. But Jesus doesn't disqualify us. He looks for people who are teachable. And if we can be teachable, then this association. And that was one of my favorites so far because it was all about Jesus letting his disciples be with him. Amen? You know, we look in our culture, and we have people who you just aren't approachable. They could be people of, of high rankings, they could be athletes, musicians, but they separate themselves, not all, but some of them separate themselves from people, from society, and, and, and those people are not approachable. Well, Jesus, who's the, the, the son of God, came down and walked among us, and so Jesus lets us follow him, and he wants to be associated with us. Isn't that awesome? You know, we, we've all grew up with that one person in our lives where your mom didn't want you to associate yourself with that person because she said you're going to go down the wrong path. How many of you guys have ever been around that? How many of you were that person? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> but we've all been around those type of people. And, but Jesus, is, it's a joy that he gets to associate himself with us, sinners, people who, um, who betray Jesus, people who, who don't spend time with him and who struggle and have failures. Jesus associates himself with us. And and so, I don't know about you, but that makes me want to become a disciple. It makes me want to learn and to be teachable under Jesus. So part three this morning, we are going to be learning about consecration. And that's what we're going to be focusing on. The, The definition of consecration is simply this. It's the action of making or declaring something sacred. And so we're going to learn what that means this morning when it comes to discipleship and how do we become fully devoted disciples of Jesus. The second sentence of this chapter is the essence of consecration, I believe, when it says, they were not required to be smart, but they had to be loyal. And that is so crucial, and we're gonna focus on that word loyalty this morning and when it comes to being a disciple. You have to be loyal in order to be fully devoted to Jesus. Amen? And I love how it says that we don't, we're not required to be smart. Doesn't mean that you can't be smart, but if your GPA maybe isn't what your friends were, or, or it doesn't matter. And, and I always struggle with that because my GPA wasn't the, the highest, but that's not a requirement for being a disciple. That's right. And so that's important this morning. We don't compare ourselves to one another and say, well, that person can be one, and I can't. All we have to do is be loyal. So what does loyalty mean? Loyalty means it's a strong feeling of support or allegiance. And so one of the things that we want you guys to discuss in your life groups on Wednesday, and we'll give a, a few little examples this morning, but what are things that we can be loyal to right now? And we talked about this even in youth ministry on Wednesday. What are things that we are loyal to? Some people might say, well, I'm not really a loyal person. I'm not, you know, there's not many people. Out. We are all loyal to something in this life and in this culture. For some of us, it could be a brand. You can be loyal to a brand, can't you? Whether it's a sneaker drop, whether it's new releases of apparel, we'll make sure that we are lined up and and ready on our app to get that new drop. We're loyal to that because we spend time making sure that we can get it. We can be loyal to to technology, can't we? You ever see the lines at the Apple store when the new iPhone drops? It's crazy. Now technology is a little different, but people used to... There was an Apple store in New York City where people would line up down the blocks just to get their hands on the new technology. and so. We can be loyal to technology, cars, musicians, artists. We support musicians by paying money to to get their songs, by paying money to get their albums, by listening to them all the time in the car, at work, at the gym. We're loyal to musicians, artists. What about sports teams, athletes? College football. You want to talk about loyalty, go to a, a Division I college football game. I've had the privilege of going to Penn State for uh, their rival whiteout games where it's, it's the biggest game of the year and they play one of their rivals and it's unbelievable the loyalty that people have. People will camp out for a week to make sure that they can get tickets. So whether you believe it or not, you are loyal to something. I read an article on CNN and the title was Navy SEAL Commander and he says, we have drifted from our Navy Corps values. The article said this, in the wake of several high-profile scandals, including allegations of sexual assault and cocaine use against Navy SEAL team members, the admiral overseeing the Navy SEALs has ordered a series of immediate changes to address what he calls a drift from Navy Corps values of honor, courage, and commitment. He goes on to say, our force has drifted from our Navy core values of honor, courage, and commitment, and the tenets of our naval special warfare ethos due to a lack of action at all levels of leadership. Rear Admiral Colin Green, the commander of Naval Special Warfare Command, wrote in a memo to major subordinate commanders, said a U.S. Navy official says, Green is trying to strongly emphasize to the SEALs, their loyalty must be to the values of ethics and honor, and not first to the SEAL teammates. That's very interesting because, and many of you don't realize, the Navy SEALs are the best of the best of the best. And lastly, he says, it's not a loyalty first to other SEALs. Serving the country is the first and only priority, the official said. What he's basically saying is there are some issues that were happening internally, not just with teammates, but even with leadership at all different levels and he was calling out a return back to the core truths and the values. Being consecrated entails that there is a responsibility and in a manner in which we are to live. You know, if you work for a company, there are certain values and standards in which you conduct yourselves, isn't there? You don't go to your CEO and say, well, I don't like this, so I'm not going to do it. We all submit to the cores and values of the companies that we work for, don't we? And if you don't, they'll give you a nice little piece of paper that has nice pretty pink all over it. And they'll send you on to find another company. But we don't argue against the core values of our workplaces. We work, correct? And so in the same way, when it becomes to, comes to being a disciple, we have, there's a conduct that we have to come under if we're going to be consecrated. Amen? We can't just call ourselves Christians and have a different life. There is standards and conducts that we come under when we become disciples. If you go to a school or a college, there are certain values and standards on which you must conduct yourselves. Gino Ariyama, the the coach of the UConn women's team, is probably one of the best coaches in the history of sports. I mean, this guy had multiple years where their team didn't lose. And I mean, I'm talking three years where the team didn't lose and won the championship every year. And people don't realize the the, uh, conduct and the rules that you have to play under him. And girls come from all over the country to play for him. If Gino Ariyama sits in your living room, that is a high honor because there are thousands and thousands of women who would do anything to to be under him. But people don't realize some of the rules. He doesn't allow tattoos to be exposed. He doesn't allow his girls to be on social media during the season. You are not allowed. It's to be shut off. When I used to coach girls' varsity basketball, I used to, I used to wonder I wonder if I could sneak into a practice and just kind of see what he, he did. So I actually called the school once, and they said, you can come right in. I was like, really? He goes, yeah, we have coaches that come from all over to sit in our practices. Mm-hmm. They think we have this special trick that we do that our girls win, but it's really not. He goes, we do the same drills that you do, but they just do them to perfection. And so I have a friend who actually got that call from Gino Ariyama to play for his team. And she decided, it's not for me. She didn't like the amount of rules that were there. And so she said no. She ended up actually going to Providence College here on a Division I scholarship for four years, an amazing basketball player. It's not a knock against her, but she chose, I just don't want to come under that. So loyalty as disciples, we are not forced to become disciples. Jesus doesn't intimidate Loyalty. Loyalty comes from how Jesus makes us feel. And you know what? You don't have to be a disciple this morning. That's your choice. But if we choose to become disciples, then we have to come under that conduct of the way that Jesus wants us to live. Amen? You know, I would rather have one loyal person than a group of gifted people who are not. When you find people who are loyal in your life, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? It's an amazing feeling. When I played basketball in high school, I had a different coach every single year, and that was horrible. Usually you want a coach that's with you all four years, they get to know you, but it would take a year where this coach would get to know you, he'd know your strengths, weaknesses, and then he'd leave at the end of the year, and you'd have to do it all over again. And I remember when I was in elementary school, we used to go to the high school basketball games, the varsity basketball games, and there was a coach whose name was Mr. Kirsch. And this guy led our team to playoffs. He's led our team to championships. This guy knew how to get teams into the playoffs. And I remember, I believe it was my junior year, there was rumor that Mr. Kirsch was coming back. And we were so excited, but we were so scared at the same time because he had such expectations for people. The funny thing is, my freshman year, we had a coach who I couldn't really be loyalty, loyal to, and I'll tell you why. We were away in, a, um, in New York for a tournament. And so a friend of mine, um, I was the center, my friend was the, the small forward, we were walking back to one of our dorms after one of, the tournament, one of the practices before our tournament, and we saw a golf cart that was parked on the side of the road. So we looked at each other and we said, let's see if it you know, works. And sure enough, the key was in it. And so we sat in it, and we took off on it. Now, that is not our fault. That's the fault of the maintenance person who left the key in the golf cart during a tournament where freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors would be coming up. So we were riding all the way around the campus, and our coach actually came out and saw us, and it was almost like he was waiting for a turn on the golf cart. And so, all of a sudden, we went through a leaf pile, and then all of a sudden, you see the security vehicle come onto the grass coming after us. So we freak out. We're freshmen. We look to our coach as our helper and all we see is the back of him running in the other direction. Our coach abandoned us to deal with the security. So I wasn't very loyal to him and he left that year anyways. But when this coach, Mr. Kirsch, came and began to teach us, there was something about him that we just wanted to be loyal to him. He was a man of exceedingly high expectations. He used to have a Snapple cap. And what he did is, I don't know how he did it, but he rigged it. So you know how when you can click the Snapple cap and it's loud? He did something where you could click that thing and you could hear it within a mile. And what we would do is if we were in basketball practice and he gave us a water break, when you heard that Snapple cap clicking, you had to be back in the gym on the line even if you didn't get a drink. So we would be literally in line at the water fountain screaming at our players, hurry up, you know, people would put their mouth on the fountain, they're taking all this water, in. and if, if we heard that Snapple cap and you didn't get a drink, you had to be back in that gym or you were doing more running. He expected such a high level of conditioning in us because he knew what it would take to get us to the playoffs and to the championship games. And I remember there was one moment where we were playing a basketball game And we had given everything we had. We were exhausted. And I remember when he called a a huddle, there was about a few seconds left on the clock. The game was tied. And I remember I was standing there. Now, any of you who play sports, when you're exhausted, you go like this. That's the sign that someone is exhausted. And I remember I was standing outside of the huddle, and I remember looking at Coach Kirch's eyes, and they were so big. The crowd was so loud. And I remember him looking at the scoreboard, and then he looked at us. He grabbed my soaking wet jersey, and he pulled me into the huddle. And I never forgot that moment, because I thought that I was done, that I had nothing left in that game. But he looked at my value, my conditioning, and he pulled me in to be a part of that very crucial part of that game. Now, I can tell you this morning that I don't even remember if we even won the game. But I never forgot that look of inclusion that he gave me in that moment. And I became loyal to that person that year. We made it to every single practice, every single game on time. Because even though he demanded so much out of us, he valued us so much. And our team would give anything to play for him again. My wife, Tara, we used to work for a manager whose name was Angelica when she was at Starbucks. Tara's worked at Starbucks for over 10 years. This manager was unbelievable. She would be in line at another store, and if she noticed something in someone, she'd say, I want you to come work for me at Starbucks. And so Tara was one of those people who who she pulled under her wing. She trained her so much, it got to a point where she actually left Starbucks and went to another company, and Tara followed her to that company. Left what she knew because of how loyal she was to her, because of the value that Angelica saw in her. Jesus has this perspective that he can look at us no matter what we think of ourselves, no matter what we've done in our past, and he can call things out. And I can't even imagine getting to see Jesus face to face, seeing the way that he would look at us and call us to become a disciple, call us to loyalty, call us to be consecrated. Jesus did not manipulate the disciples into following him and staying with him. In fact, he gave them opportunities to leave if they wanted. Look with me at John 6, verse 66. Jesus says this teaching, and look what the response was. In the book, shared this exact scripture. It said, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Isn't that crazy? You would think, wouldn't everybody want to follow Jesus? Wouldn't everyone want to take up that mantle and that yoke? But it says some of the things that Jesus said. Not a few, but many turned their backs and walked away from Jesus. It goes on to say to the twelve in verse 67, so when these people turned and left, you had the twelve that were standing left, the people who Jesus went out and called. And he said, so Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? I believe we have opportunities in our lives as Christians where we can choose to walk away from what God wants us to do in our lives. We can choose to say, you know what? I can't handle this. This is too much. I'm done with it. It's too much of a strain on my family. It's too much of a strain on me emotionally, mentally. We have opportunities where we too can turn away and walk away. Jesus didn't demand loyalty in the sense of, I'm going to manipulate you to follow me. He didn't start doing a campaign when the many turned away and said, you need to come back. He didn't scream begging. He let them turn away. And a matter of fact, he turned to the 12 and said, are you going to go too? But this is the heart of discipleship right here in Simon's response, Peter. He said, he answered them, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I want to camp here for a second because this is the definition of loyalty. Peter had left all that he knew. He didn't fully know Jesus yet. He didn't fully see all the miracles and and know all the revelations. He didn't know that he would end up giving his life for this cause, but he was loyal to Jesus because of how Jesus made him feel. There was something about him that he said, you know what? All of these acquaintances have turned their backs, but he said to Jesus, where am I going to go? That's the heart of a disciple, realizing so much that if I turn and walk away from this thing, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? This morning, how will you answer that question? If Jesus were to stand in front of you right now and say, do you want to go as well? How would you answer him? Some people might say, I'm going to go, but I'll be back. I just have something that I need to finish up. Or I need to take a break. It's a lot of strain right now, so I just need to take a little break and, and, and be done, and then I'll come back. Peter, even in his shortcomings, replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Once you really know who Jesus is, it is very hard to turn your back on him. And I believe if people do turn their backs on him, they have not had those revelations of who he is fully. We'll never have that in this lifetime. But the more that I walk with Jesus, the harder it is for me to understand how people can turn away from this man. Because I know where I've come from. I know what I've done. But Jesus still Calls me. -hmm. You know, we have such a special group of youth right now in our youth ministry. We really do. We've had gifted youth in the years of me doing youth ministry who you almost have to beg to, to come to youth group. You have to try and persuade, manipulate a little bit. But you know what, even when they come, they're not really getting it. What I love about this group that we have right now is, not a lot of them grew up in the church, not a lot of them know the word of God, but they're starting to. Right. They're starting to catch this vision that they can be disciples. That Jesus came and chose people their age to change the world. Amen. And I would rather have a group of that than a, and then a, a bigger group of skilled people who know the word of God but aren't really loyal to the cause, loyal to the calling. In page 57 in the book, it says this, that he had not come to save himself. Jesus didn't come to save himself. He wasn't like that coach that I had my freshman year who saved himself and ran away and didn't want to be associated with freshmen who stole a golf cart. We didn't even get in trouble. The, The security guy yelled at us, took it back, and we were done. Jesus didn't come to save himself. He didn't run away from us. He ran to us. He came to save the world. And in Mark 10, 45, we have the essence of Jesus' entire ministry here, it says in Mark 10:45, he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You know what that word ransom means? In the Greek, it's lutron, which means something to loosen with or the price for redeeming. It's compensation for someone's faults. I had a big family, so I got to blame a lot of my faults on some of my brothers and sisters. We all passed the blame And we could do that, we could get away with that. But Jesus redeemed every single one of us for every single sin that we've ever done and will ever do. And if I sit and think about that for a second, that's a person that I wanna follow. That's a person who I wanna be loyal to. That's a person who I wanna be consecrated under. And no matter how hard it gets, Jesus will equip us. As you begin to know more about Jesus, we have an option to be loyal to him, to be consecrated. And why wouldn't I if I truly know what he did for me? Amen? You know, why do you think the religious leaders were so mad at Jesus? Because they were doing everything wrong. The people who should have been doing everything right and leading the people to do everything right were doing everything wrong. They wanted the best seats. They, wanted, they wore flowing robes and wanted the recognition of the people. They didn't associate themselves with the outcasts. What did Jesus do? He humbled himself and served. He would sit with the sinners, and then he would be judged by the religious leaders for doing that. Following Jesus is not easy, but Jesus promises in his word that it is manageable. When he says that my burden is light and my yoke is easy, that word is literally, that word easy is translated to be manageable. There may be times in your life as a disciple where it is really Really, really, really hard. But Jesus equips us with His Spirit. And all we have to think is if I'm called to be a disciple, if I'm consecrated, Jesus will give me the strength to make it through this season. Amen? He doesn't turn our backs and run away. You know what's crazy, too? A thought that I was thinking of when I was planning is we aren't going to be disciples forever. Isn't that crazy? When we go to heaven, there's no need for discipleship because we're all with Jesus in eternity. So discipleship in this world, you know what it comes down to? Discipleship is telling other people what Jesus did in our lives so that they can experience freedom. That's it. That is it. Simplified. And if you allow Jesus to work on you and you have the revelation of who he is, you will want to follow this man because of what he did for you, because of what he sees in you. Amen? Being a disciple means that we have the privilege of serving Jesus in this life so that others can experience the freedom that we have in Jesus. You need to hear that this morning. Something that the book said is, um, no one knew better than Jesus that the satanic force of darkness against them were well organized and equipped to make ineffectual any half-hearted effort of evangelism. Right. That's powerful. No one more than Jesus realized how powerful and how organized the enemy of our souls is. And that's why he expected loyalty out of his disciples, because you cannot be half in and half out. You cannot straddle the fence of decision and call yourself one or the other. You can't be a partial disciple. You are or you aren't. Now, it's not about perfection, because some people think, well, I'm not perfect, and I, and I fail and I struggle. You could still be a disciple and have shortcomings. Did you know that? The book talked about five different ways that the disciples struggled. And maybe some of these, just struggle, these struggles, you could say, oh, that's, that's me. Number one, they struggled, they struggled with the accepting the teaching of lowly servitude for the sake of others. Sometimes, don't you struggle to serve? It's hard to serve sometimes, because you really don't get anything in that moment. But the disciples struggled with that idea of having to serve other people. Number two, they bickered among each other who would be the greatest. Anyone ever have debates with your friends of who's the greatest in whatever category it could be? You know, we just had a quarterback who retired, Brady, and the debate now, is he the greatest of all time? And people will argue that forever. The disciples argued who was going to be the greatest right in front of Jesus. It says a couple of them wanted the best seats or the best places. And while those two were arguing who was going to get the best places, the other ten displayed an envious spirit. It says that they were harsh in their judgment on other people who didn't agree with them. Even as disciples, we can't judge people just because they don't agree with us. When you tell people about Jesus, not everyone's going to come running. But we can't judge them for that. We leave that to God, don't we? And lastly, it says they didn't like when parents brought their kids in to be blessed by Jesus because it disrupted the flow and the order. Parents wanted to bring their babies, their kids, to Jesus to be blessed, and the disciples tried to keep them away. But what did Jesus say? Stop it. Let the little children come to me. Jesus disrupts order sometimes, and that's okay. Many of us have struggled with these things that the disciples struggled with, but page 54 in the book says this Yet Jesus patiently endured these human failings of his chosen disciples because in spite of all their shortcomings, they were willing to follow him. I love that because I probably checked off every single box that the disciples struggled with at one time in my life, still with some. But Jesus was patiently enduring, waiting for them because they still wanted to follow him, amen? As we wrap up, page 50 talks a lot about the scripture where it says no servant can serve two masters. You know, going back to basketball, the team that I played on, when you, I remember there was lines waiting to try out for that team my junior year because people wanted to play under, Tim, under, under uh, Coach Kirsch. I remember the tryouts and everyone giving their all and they, they wanted to be a part of that team and some people were gonna be cut. And I remember making the team and feeling so special. You know, if someone got cut from that team or someone just decided, you know what, I'm gonna buy the same shoes because when you're in high school you get team shoes, right? You get team shorts, pants that match, you get jerseys, you have the logo of your school and you wear it with pride. Well, anyone in the school can get the same shoes and get the same shorts and wear the same logo. But you know what? They're not gonna be allowed on the floor during the game time. We can't call ourselves a disciple and not put the work in. We can't call ourselves a Christian and not live the lifestyle that we're called to live. We put in the work and we get picked to play in the game. We get picked to be on the team. Amen? Amen. Jesus is looking for complete loyalty because this calling, this consecration, is bigger than a game. Could you guys stand with me this morning? Rachel, if you could come just play as we close You know, this is such an important step in moving forward with this book and moving forward with what your decision in your life right now. There are some of you here this morning who have said yes to the call. And God is equipping you and He's fashioning and He's forming you. There are some in this morning maybe who you've you're standing there and you're saying, I haven't really said yes to the call, I'm not sure about it. We're not here to manipulate you, we're not here to force you to become a disciple but let me tell you one encounter with Jesus and you'll be able to say, who or what do I go back to after this? The fulfillment that comes in knowing and having a relationship with Jesus. When you have someone who looks at you no matter what you've done in your past and he still calls you to be associated with him, you're not going to want to run anywhere else. I don't know what God has for you specifically moving forward, but if you're here this morning and you're like, you know, I really have not consecrated myself to God. I've worn the team shoes, I've, I've bought the jersey, and I wear the logo, but I really don't have a right to be on the floor. Just like my coach, Coach Kirsch, had high expectations and high conditioning, it's because he knew what it would take to get to the playoffs. We could be a team that just plays and misses the playoffs every year, but his expectation was to get to the playoffs with every team that he coached. And so his expectations were high, but his value for us was unparalleled. He didn't know it, but I, I, I was not the greatest player on that floor. I did not have the skill that a lot of the other players had. And I thought there's no way I would get playing time. But this man in that year of my life, brought so much out of me. And I remember the time when he had to stop coaching because he got sick. And I remember when he was sitting on his bed the last week of his life, and I was talking to his son, and he was going through the yearbook, and his son said, it's funny you just reached out to me because I was just sitting with him yesterday, and he flipped over a page and he pointed, and he said, oh look, there's Mike. I remember I started weeping. When the Lord called him to be home, I was weeping so hard, and I don't cry like that for everything, but it's because I knew he valued me so much. It was because I was so loyal to him that losing him was losing such a big part of my life. While Jesus may have high standards in this life, it's, it's for a reason. And we get to be a part of him, consecrated to the kingdom to bring other people into a relationship with Jesus. And that is an amazing thing, isn't it? Selection. Jesus offers us this opportunity to anyone that will change our lives. And only we can disqualify ourselves. Jesus is not looking for skill. He's not looking for education. He's not looking for a title or for a high GPA. He's looking for people who wanna be taught and committed to the call. No one is disqualified from being a disciple. Association. Jesus allowed people to follow him and be associ- and he associated himself with people. He's not afraid or ashamed to have us as followers, and he makes himself available to us. And today, consecration. He sets us apart to be sacred and he equips us so that we can live out this calling to be a disciple and all that it entails. If you've had a bad experience with a leader, a pastor, a friend, a family member, a coworker, a boss, remember that Jesus never, never fails us. Jesus never manipulates us. Jesus never controls us, and Jesus never devalues us. If you've had a great experience with a leader, a pastor, a friend, a family member, a coworker, or a boss, remember that the greatest experience with those people doesn't even come close to the experience with Jesus Christ. We are called to be loyal to Jesus, and he works with us to transform us. Amen? We're gonna to pray together, and if you feel like, you know what, I, I, I would like to be consecrated this morning. I'd like to be a part of this call, this thing that you call discipleship. I'm not perfect, I have a lot of shortcomings, but something about this has intrigued me this morning, and I wanna be a part of it. If you feel like that's you this morning, we're gonna leave these altars open if you need prayer. The rest of you, please, if you're dismissed, just take conversation outside, and let this be just a consecrated time so people can encounter Jesus this morning. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the consecration that you have for us, that you offer to us, people who, are, who have failed, people who are filled with shortcomings. You have offered this call to be kingdom workers. And Lord, you have given us your Holy Spirit this morning to transform and to equip us, God, to help us do what you've called us to do. Father, I pray this morning, right now, if there's anyone in this sanctuary, if there's anyone watching on live stream right now, God, that they would hear the call of Jesus on their life this morning. Lord, that they would consecrate themselves to be a servant in the kingdom of God. And right now, we rebuke the enemy. We rebuke every cloak, every blank that is draped over people to make them feel useless, to make them not feel valuable. We, we rebuke that right now by the power, the blood, and the authority of Jesus. We break down every wall that even people have put up to keep them from encountering Jesus this morning. We lay the field flat. No, no divots, no hills, nothing to stumble, but a flat surface right now from the seats to the altar this morning. Nothing that would hinder anyone from saying, I want to be consecrated this morning. And we leave these altars open for anybody who wants to come and be connected with the Son of God this morning. We look forward to this Wednesday as we discuss more in detail what it means to be consecrated. Help us to be loyal followers of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday. If you do want prayer, please take some time at these altars this morning and we will pray with you. God bless.